Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. We don't serve God because he needs to be served. We don't serve God because we're paying him back. We don't come to God because we've earned our salvation. We don't give as much as we can give and God supplements the rest. We give nothing. God gives everything. You ought to marvel at that. Chapter 12, Jesus tells us the parable of the rich fool. This man had spent his life accumulating wealth and made plans to enjoy the fruits of his labor. Unfortunately, God told him he would die that night and all of his possessions would go to someone else. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is reminding us of the importance of acknowledging God's grace in our lives. We're continuing our study through 2 Samuel with a message titled, Pondering the Wonderful Iniquity in Your Relationship with God. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God teaches Dave a big lesson that he would never forget. Look at it, the historical context, beginning in verse number one, it says, after the king was settled in his palace and Yahweh had given him rest from all his enemies, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar and boy, it's a nice palatial dig and I love this house that we built and all this work that went into it. But when I, when I look out through the window of my nice home here, I see not too far away here in Jerusalem, the box, the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence dwelling in a tent. And I just don't think that's right. And, and we need to settle the score here a little bit, Nathan. And, and God's done so much for me, and now it's payback time. I, I need to do some things for God and, and kind of make this thing even now. And so he says, uh, you know, what do you think, Nathan? Verse 3, Nathan the prophet commits a pastoral blunder when he doesn't consult God, he doesn't consult his word, he just replies in a very logical, rational, reasonable way. He says, you know what, whatever you have in mind, it sounds like a good plan, it sounds like a godly idea. Go for it, Dave. Well, the Lord wasted little time in correcting Nathan's counsel. He comes to Nathan that night, it says in verse number four, and he says to Nathan, verse five, go tell my servant David this, is what Yahweh says. And he asks a rhetorical question. Are you the one to build a house for me to dwell in? Hey, Dave, I haven't dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, hey, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? A couple of rhetorical questions here, a couple of devices used in God's vocabulary that basically says, Dave, you're not the guy to build me a temple. And you know, if I really wanted one, I would ask for one. And if I wanted you to build it, I'd certainly make that clear. But don't, don't try and <laughs> even the score here. Don't try and build a house for me because of what I've done for you. And in this response from God, he reveals a very basic elemental flaw in the thinking of many people who call themselves followers of Christ. They oftentimes think that in some way they can do for God something that would in some way, perhaps partially, compensate for what God has done for them. 
God has no interest in you doing anything that are going to meet his needs. He needs nothing because he is in himself a self-sufficient, autonomous, self-supporting, self-loving, self-serving, self-everything. He is everything he needs. He didn't need us and he doesn't need you. David thinking for just a few moments that perhaps he could pay God back is the most insulting thing that David could do. It's like you being invited to some posh banquet in Bel Air. Let's just picture this. Some rich friend of yours invites you to some you know, big to-do in Bel Air where they're trying to raise money and all the you know, who's who of, of, of Southern California are going to be there. All the big shots. And for each plate, each person, it's $8,000. Let's just imagine this. So you put on your best studs, you get in your car, you drive up the freeway, you pull into this wonderful mansion somewhere in Bel Air and this valet's there to take your car and you go inside and you got the best hors d'oeuvres you've ever tasted, the best meal you've ever tasted, people speaking and people singing. It's just the greatest thing in the world. $16,000 someone paid for you to be there. And as you're walking to leave, by the door, there's the gentleman that underwrote your time to be there and your plate. He paid for it all. There he is, $16,000 he paid for you to be there. You reach into your pocket and you feel a quarter in there. And you say, hey, buddy, come over here. I just want to tell you I really enjoyed tonight. And you pull that quarter out of your pocket and you slip that into his palm and you press that real firm into his palm. You say, I just want to say thanks. Hey. Now tell me how well that would go over with your rich friend. That's offensive. That's not going to help. A quarter? He paid $16,000 for you to eat, and you're slipping a quarter into his palm? That's a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. Matter of fact, that's offensive. We can't possibly pay back with, with a quarter. Well, God sees that from such an infinite perspective that he says, all your righteousness, it's like, it's, it's chump change. There's nothing you can do that would pay me back. What does that mean we don't serve God? There's lots of things we do in response to grace. But grace is all about God needing nothing. That's the foundation of grace. There is nothing I can give God of any real worth. One more passage, Acts 17. Turn there with me if you would. Acts 17, the Apostle Paul finds himself in Athens, the intellectual capital of the ancient world. And he starts with a sermon about the reality of God. Look all the way down in the chapter 17 to verse number 24. And notice what the Apostle Paul says about God. Foundational truths. Here we go. God who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord, L-O-R-D. He is the boss. He's the king. He's the sovereign one. He's in charge. He needs nothing. He's the self-supporting, self-sustaining person. He's king of heaven and of earth. And he doesn't live in temples built with hands. You guys are kidding yourselves. Here's the important verse. Look at it, verse 25. And he is not served by human hands. I love this phrase as if he needed anything. You can't give him anything. You're not going to be able to, to pay him back or give him anything. He didn't need anything. And then he turns the table and he says, because you can't give him anything because he's the giver of all things. He himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. He ain't going to be the recipient because he's the giver. He gives it all. You can't give back to him. You can't pay back to him. You can't in any profound or real way substitute what he's given you with some giving to him. He can't. It's not a tit for tat. It's not a quid pro quo. It's not you do that for me, I do that for you. It doesn't work that way in Christian theology. 
Biblical teachings of God have always consisted of a God who needs nothing. And that's an important place for us to start. But secondarily, Paul brings up our second point, and that's where God goes with David in the rest of 2 Samuel chapter 7. He begins to talk about how you can't give me anything because I have everything I need, but I can sure give you a lot. I give men life and breath and everything else, Paul says. Look at it back in 2 Samuel 7. The tables turn from what God says you can't do for me to what I do for you, David. Look at it in verse number 8. He tells Nathan, now then, tell my servant David, this is what Yahweh Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from following the flock, to be ruler over my people. By the way, that's pretty big cultural slam. There's no lower job than being a shepherd. You were just a, a nobody, but I took you from that. And it says, I made you the ruler over my people Israel. Look at verse number nine. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Well, wait a minute, wasn't I doing that? No, God says, I was doing that. I was giving you victory. I was giving you success. I was giving you everything. You think you're gonna pay me back for that? Never, doesn't work that way. Second thing it's important for us to note is not only that God needs nothing, but the most important thing about pondering that in reality in my life is that I must admit that God gives me everything. I can give him nothing because he needs nothing, but God gives me everything. How much? Paul said life and breath and everything else. In him we live and move and exist. All things consist in Christ. He holds it all together. We bring nothing to the table and he gives everything. And you know, most people sitting in churches across the country today do not understand that. They think I bring something to the table and God comes alongside of me and supplements the rest. It's called religion. It's called works righteousness. It's called heresy. It's called people striving to be good enough for God. If you're striving to be good enough so that God will accept you, let me tell you, you'll never make it. The only way people get right with God is to recognize the two points that we've just highlighted. And that is that I bring nothing to the table. I can't give anything to God that he thinks is impressive. All my righteousness, like filthy rags. But God gives everything. Based on what? Based on his pure, unmerited grace. God gives it. I'm a recipient. That's called grace. And the third thing that we ought to note is if we try to apply this to our own lives and we open up our Bible sometime this afternoon and we look at Revelation 21 and 22 and we start to read about all the magnificent, wonderful things God is going to give us, a place with no crying, no tears, reunions of loved ones, all the wonderful things that God is going to do for us. You've got to be amazed that God would give you more than he already has. I put it this way, number three, be amazed that God would give you more because he's already given you everything you have, your relationships, your job, your money, your position in life, everything you have that's good, he's given to you. And then he promises right now, knowing every failure, every flaw, every frailty of your life and every mistake you're going to make next week, next year, and then in the next decade, and he looks at you and says, I'm going to promise you that anyway. Why? Because you earn it. You don't earn it. You can't pay me back. You can give me nothing for it. It just demonstrates that I am a gracious, wonderful giver. That's hard to understand, isn't it? Tuned in the radio this week, listened to a talk show. I was out of town. I don't know the talk show. Don't even know the station. Don't know what the caller said. 
But I tuned it in as the talk show host was responding to what the caller had said. It was obviously a Christian caller had said something about Christianity, and this guy was flying off the handle because this guy was dead set opposed to Christianity. He said, I'll tell you why I don't like this. He said, I'll tell you why, why, why I reject all this. He said it with such a, a, a disdain in his voice. He said, here's what Christians teach. Christians say that if you're a good, moral, upstanding person in your community, you don't cheat on your wife, you pay your taxes, but if you don't get God in your life at some point, it says, you die and go to hell. And those same Christians turn around and tell me that if you're a mass murderer sitting on death row somewhere and just before you die, you happen to put your trust in Christ and get God in your life, all of a sudden, you go to heaven. And here was his closing shot. Here was his final word. He said, something just isn't right about that. And I thought to myself, you're absolutely right. There is something that's not right about that. It's called grace. And what you don't understand, sir, is that there's not one person on this planet that deserves fellowship with God because God is perfect, his standards are perfect, and we're all imperfect. And because of that very fact, he ought to take all the flawed people on the assembly line, which is all of us, and toss us all into eternal outer darkness forever. The amazing thing isn't that he saves the guy on death row. The, the amazing thing is that he saves anybody. It's not amazing that the good man goes to hell. It's amazing that anybody goes to heaven. That's the reality of it. That's what's amazing. Well, how can God do that? How can he do that? Shouldn't that death row prison inmate be punished? Shouldn't his sin, shouldn't there be justice? Yeah, there is. And there was. And God got really mad at that sin. He was furious over every single imperfection, transgression, and sin that that guy ever committed, and he punished it with a firm iron fist. And it happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. And he said, I'm mad at sin, and I hate it. And Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. You know what that spells? Unfair. That means that Christ suffered for every rotten thing I've ever done. That means that God got so mad at Jesus Christ, he treated him like a rapist and an adulterer. That's what God did to Christ on a cross. Do you, do you realize that? And he pounded and flogged and hurt his own son with such intense anger and wrath and spent it all on Christ so that he could look at Mike Fabares and say, forgiven. So he could look at the death row inmate and say, forgiven. So he can look at the moral upstanding guy on the edge of town and say, forgiven. Do you think God wanted to demonstrate that? You bet. And I can tell you two reasons why. Because he hung on a cross in the most dramatic chapter of his entire life. And as he hung there on the cross, he looked at a convicted criminal on a Roman execution rack next to him. And he said, you know what? I'm going to blow everybody's mind. I'm going I'm to just absolutely just shatter the thinking of Christians all over the world. And I'm going to say something so everyone can hear it. And I'm going to say it, and it's just going to blow their mind. I'm going to say, hey, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Him? There were teachers of the law, scribes and Pharisees in the audience who had spent their whole life trying to stay away from sin and corruption and lying and perversion. And they were out there with all their clean hands and all their virtuous lives. And he looks at this ugly, rotten, sinful criminal, and he says, you know what? Today, you're going to get saved. You're saved. And God shows his grace. Let me tell you another reason. 
Because the guy who wrote most of the New Testament was a murderer too. Did you know that? Persecutor of the church. You know, Paul recognized that and he says, you know, God chose me, the worst of all sinners, to demonstrate his perfect patience, grace, to show that it's not about what you've done. It's about what God does. That's what grace is about. You think you're not good enough? <laughs> Welcome to the club. None of us are good enough. And you'll never be. Stop trying. It's not about that. Paying God back. Is that why you serve God? Forget it. You're wasting your time. We don't serve God because he needs to be served. We don't serve God because we're paying him back. We don't come to God because we've earned our salvation. We don't give as much as we can give and God supplements the rest. We give nothing. God gives everything. You ought to marvel at that. It's amazing. Charles Wesley, younger brother of John Wesley, both Oxford grads, they turned the world upside down in the 18th century for Christ. Charles Wesley, while his brother was busy writing theology and preaching sermons, he was busy writing hymns. He wrote songs. He was a songwriter. Historians tell us that Charles Wesley wrote over 8,000 hymns. 8,000. That's three hymns a week for 59 years. That's a lot of songwriting. And we've all been exposed to his songs. We sing them at Christmas. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Charles Wesley wrote those words. At Easter, we sing a song, Christ the Lord is risen today. That song, Charles Wesley wrote that. But of all the songs I've been exposed to that Charles Wesley wrote, and going to school where I did, and my education, I've been exposed to a lot of Charles Wesley songs. Probably my favorite Charles Wesley song was a song written in 1738 that was a response to God's grace. And he wrote these profound words, and with this, let me close. He said, Anne, can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, who, who caused his pain for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy, all immense and free, for, oh my God, it, it found out me. No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine, not mine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That's grace. And it ought to cognitively and emotionally grip us. Let's pray. God, forgive us if we are Christians who have offended you by slipping a quarter into your palm, thinking that in some way our service to you can pay you back, God, we never could even begin to think of that. There's nothing we can give you. You have everything. You're the giver of all things. You've promoted everything good in our life. You're the cause of everything good in our life. For every good thought we've had, every right thing, every right behavior, every right word we've spoken, it's all been from you. You are the giver and the source of all that's good. God, we bring nothing but hurt and sin and transgression to the deal. You bring forgiveness and grace. 
and your son's righteousness. God, that is amazing that people in this room who have sinned, who have violated your law, who have cashed in their integrity in a million situations are going to one day sit in a place called the New Jerusalem, dining and rejoicing, singing and dancing around the throne, living and serving and doing all the wonderfully fulfilling things with all of our loved ones and friends and extended spiritual family. Us, us, rotten, worthless sinners. God, it's amazing. That's grace. And we love you for it. And it isn't fair. We admit it. It's not fair when you save the upstanding moral citizen. And it isn't fair when you save the, the inmate on death row. It's just not fair. And we praise you, God, that it's not. And we praise you that you're not fair. And we marvel that you can maintain your justice in this bizarre transaction as you take our sin and punish your own son instead of us. God, if there's a person who has tried to be acceptable in your sight, they thought you ought to get fixed before you come to the doctor, then God, rearrange their thinking this morning. Let them see they can't clean up their life and be acceptable to you. You don't get good and then become a Christian. Help them to recognize that you just admit that you are a failure, that we bring nothing to the table and you're going to have to bring everything. We lay our lives in your hands. We fall down before your feet. We throw ourselves on the mercy of your son and we say, save us. We're, we're sinners. And then we stand up and sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God, make that a reality for every person in this room so that we would no longer have people religiously seeking favor with you, but we might have people basking in the wonderful grace of God. What an incredible thing. And we're so blessed to be called the children of God. And yet, God, it hadn't been seen what we're gonna be because you've got so much more for us. Eyes haven't seen, minds haven't imagined the good things you have planned for us, and that'll be gravy. And we'll have nothing to say. There'll be no boasting. We'll not be proud of ourselves. We won't be holding up our hands in pride. We'll be bowing down in grateful, humble gratitude. God, we're looking forward to praising you and thanking you in person, not that our thanks could ever repay, but just expressing in a personal way, face to face, our thanks and our worship for your grace and your mercy. God, thank you so much for it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Focal Point in a message called Pondering the Wonderful Iniquity in Your Relationship with God from Pastor Mike Fabares. And you know, a great way to deepen your understanding of God's grace is by joining us on this program every day as we study His Word. If you ever miss a program, you can download the free Focal Point mobile app to listen anytime, anywhere. You can also listen on our website, focalpointradio.org. Focal Point airs on more than 800 radio stations and outlets across the United States and is worldwide through the Internet. The program is freely available because broadcasting costs are funded by listeners. And if you're among those who support this program, I'd like to extend our heartfelt thanks because your giving enables others to hear the truth of God's Word. To show our gratitude for your gift today, we'd like to send you a book that outlines God's plan of salvation in a clear and concise way. It's a classic resource called All of Grace by the much-loved 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon. The free gift of grace expressed throughout Scripture gives us a warm and thankful heart for God's mercy and love. 
Salvation, after all, is God's free gift to all who seek it. We'll send you a copy of All of Grace as our way of saying thanks for your gift today. To make a donation, call 888-320-5885. You can also give online at focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And remember to request the book, All of Grace, when you contact us. It's an ideal resource for anyone who has doubts or is wrestling with their faith. Now, one last thing, if today's your first time joining us, we have a free resource we'd like to send you to say welcome. It's a booklet that answers the question, who is God? Request your copy of this informative booklet at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Thursday as we continue the series called Lessons on Grace, right here on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.